guess what? Christianity in America, I'm not talking about the gospel, because listen, you cannot, Philippians 1, Paul said, the gospel's not chained. I'm not sitting here like all freaking out worried. But when you see a biblical worldview drop, they're more biblical illiteracy. And then what do you even define Christianity? This is the sad reality. I'm talking about this, about this in my new book under the chapter called Depleted Faith. Gen Z is actually deconverting from a false Christianity. They're actually walking away from a watered down version of Christianity. That to me is probably one of the biggest problems. Right, welcome everyone to our 64th podcast, Renew Your Mind. With us here today, we have Senior Pastor Paul Gruenberg. We have our Director of Family and Youth, Jeremy Teru, and we have a special guest speaker, Jason Jimenez. And um, Jason is going to be speaking at our church in Gaylord, Michigan, um, the weekend of October 8th and 9th. And I'm going to um, kind of spell out the things that I saw or the things that he is. Um, Jason Jimenez is a pastor, an apologist, best-selling author, a worldview expert, a national speaker. He's also the founder of Stand Strong Ministries. And um, in our quest to kind of find out how you become all these things, Jason, and and what your passion is and uh, for helping others, we're going to ask you a series of questions. So hopefully that will be okay. Absolutely. All right. So first, welcome so much. And um, some of my first questions were, they're kind of, how did you get to where you're at today? So I wondered, you know, where did you grow up? Childhood, high school years, college years, first work years, things like that. Um, so maybe you could give us a general overall update on that. That's a mouthful, Dana. I mean, she wants the whole, you want to know my whole life. <laughs> Pretty you much, whole, yeah. You want to know my whole life in less than an hour. Yeah. Okay, let's be, let me rapid fire. Uh, I'll be speeding rapid Gonzalez. Rapid fire, okay. Yeah, rapid fire. Uh, well, again, thank you guys for just the honor to be with you guys on your podcast and can't wait uh, to be with you guys to meet your people and explore your your town and, and just hear the questions that many of your families do have, young people. So I appreciate that very much. So real quickly in a nutshell, I'm I am a desert rat. I am born and raised in not Tucson, okay, Tucson, Arizona. <laughs> Did you guys know it's Tucson, not Tucson? Yes. Okay, very good. So you guys are an educated audience. So I appreciate that. So I grew up in Tucson, Arizona, about 30 minutes from the border. And so obviously my last name, Jimenez, my dad has, is a Mexican. They originated from Mexico. So I'm second generation here. My mom came from the Midwest. And so they actually hooked up um, literally in high school and, and my dad got her pregnant before they got married. And so both sides of the family, devout Catholics, and very staunch Baptist. Okay. So could you imagine that? <laughs> and they said, you guys got to get married. We do not have children out of wedlock. And so they got married. My mom was, she just turned 18. So she was actually pregnant with my brother, Jeremy, when she was 17 years old. Eventually after they had a child and got married, they dropped out of high school. And sooner or later, you know, it was like two years later, they had my brother, Joe, and then they had me, you know, the best child out of all of them. <laughs> and then we had one more child. Uh, and then by that time, my mom went back and get her GD. But we struggled. I mean, my parents, they struggled in their marriage. Uh, my dad came to Saving Faith. He left the Catholic Church sometime in the mid-80s. And they, we'd have these huge, you know, cookouts and all these Mexican family members that I didn't even know existed. 
um, would show up and we would just hang out till two o'clock in the morning. And a lot of them were talking about Jesus in a way that was not based around the Catholic tradition. And my dad got saved. And shortly thereafter, I became a Christian and got baptized mm-hmm. roughly around, I think, like 10 or 11 years old with my older brother, and my cousin. And uh, after that, you know, I just had this desire, this just this desire to want to know God's word. I don't know where it came from. It wasn't like, you know, somebody was teaching me through a class or somewhat. My dad, my mom was very uh, committed to scripture and I saw a big growth in her life. And I think really the turning point for me was when she was killed in a car accident when I was 15 years old. And that just radically changed my life. Now, my mom prophetically had told me at some point, I mean, she said it several times, but there was one significant point in my life, I think as I entered high school, and my mom told me flat out, she says, the Lord is calling you to be a preacher of men. Mm-hmm. And that's been my prayer since you were a child. And, and, and it was like, okay, well, I want to play professional basketball. So maybe I can evangelize people in the <laughs> NBA or something. You know, that's not <laughs> what I was thinking. And, uh, but eventually after she had passed away, I graduated high school early. And then I had to take care of, actually, I took care of my, uh, my second oldest brother who had cancer, who eventually, sadly, uh, two years ago, passed away uh, with cancer. He had battled it multiple times, three different times in his life. And so I kind of put college on hold and had all these academic scholarships. And, you know, the, my community where I grew up, again, not educated. A lot of them just kind of had blue collar jobs, very family oriented, very structured in terms of values and spend time with the family. But when it came to moving outside of our family or leaving even Tucson, that just is a foreign concept to the Jimenez family. Mm-hmm. So I really didn't get any, it's not that they didn't love me. I just didn't get, I didn't get any support about dreams of getting a higher education and moving somewhere, maybe for ministry or whatever. I eventually started to serve at my local church and was a junior high director, which then I eventually became a high school pastor, student pastor, family pastor, college pastor. Uh, I call people the toilet pastor. I was also vacuuming, you know, cleaning the bathroom. <laughs> I did everything. Okay, wore well, the different hats, and um, but we had a my wife and I when we were married in two thousand one. We had two kids by two thousand and four. We felt the call to move to Charlotte, North Carolina, and when I went to University of Arizona, I studied philosophy and world religions, and I just was just drawn to it. And I knew at some point pastorally that I would start using a form of apologetics or worldview issues, biblical worldview issues to equip the church with these type of evidences. And so that's when I said, Hey, there's this guy named Dr. Norman Geisler. And I've been, I've been downloading his impegs on my iPod uh, ferociously every chance I could get come to find out. My wife says, Hey, you know, they started a school uh, there in Charlotte, North Carolina, and they have a conference, an apologetic conference. So, that's how we came out here where I now live in Charlotte, North Carolina, fell in love with it, got to meet Dr. Norman Geyser, Dr. Frank Turk, and several other people who became now very close friends of mine. And that's how I got you know, involved in more ministry here at a big mega church of 5,000 people and just learned more, got to know more people. And, and then in 2012, my wife and I launched Stand Strong Ministries, where we partner with churches just like you guys and, and others and, and other parachurch organizations like Focus on the Family, Faith and Freedom Coalition, Summit Ministries. And I provide, again, areas that I'm an expert in to teach young people, parents, and pastors a biblical worldview. Mm-hmm. 
Um, question for you about, um, I, I understand you teach at the Summit Student Conferences, and um, we've had some uh, young adults that have gone there from our church over the past. Um, where did that, how did you start teaching at, at Summit um, within that timeline you just gave us? Well, I paid off Jeff, our president. I said, here, here's some money, let me teach. <laughs> you know, I bribed him. That's how I got started. Awesome. No, actually, it's a funny story. I don't know if you guys heard of Dr. Sean McDowell, who's the son mm -hmm. of Josh McDowell. Mm -hmm. And so I don't even remember how Sean and I became friends. It was, it was, it was before I left a church I was pastoring at as a as a family student pastor. And and so he was he and I were gonna we were at the same conference speaking together. And so we had breakfast one morning. And he said, hey, do you, do you know that Dr. Jeff Myers, who is now our new president, like that year, he had just become, he just became the new president. He said, he's here at the conference as well. And I was like, oh, well, I've heard of Summit Ministries. I sent, like you guys, I've sent some students there and I'd like to meet Jeff. And he's like, he's like, let's, let's do it. And so I met Jeff there at this conference that we were all at. Uh, and Jeff just saw my passion and my, my years of working with students and, and parents and launched a new nonprofit and had already been kind of working on some book stuff with Dr. Geyser. And he's like, Hey, why don't you come to summit, check it out, you know, and from there, we'll just see what happens. So lo and behold, I flew out there and didn't know anybody, but Jeff, Sean wasn't going to be there. And they were actually in the summer sessions. So I got to sit in and, and check it out firsthand, totally fell in love with it, sat around with students during the meals, you know, summit, of course, they threw out the red carpet treat, you know, and uh, that's when they came to me afterwards and they said, hey, would you be willing to become one of our, our new faculty members and we can work out some of the, the content that you could be teaching in our class? And that's how it started. So now it's going on seven years since I've been with Summit now. Wow. That's, that's, it's amazing how all those things tie together. Um, how did you, um, how did you discover your talent of writing books? I mean, you have written a number of books and, um, and I can tell just the little bit that we've talked to you, you have a passion about writing and how did you, how did you come to discover that talent? Well, I always tell people when you're in the process, like I am right now with a deadline this Friday, um, it's very depressing and hard. So pray for me. <laughs> yeah. And you know, you just, you know, you don't, you don't get up to use the bathroom, uh, oftentimes. <laughs> so no, not no. but it, it's, it's a, it's a gruesome process. It's probably the hardest thing that I've ever done. And I grew up, in, in the Hispanic culture where we laid brick, I mean, we did driveways, we, we put things, you know, I mixed semen all the time, laid carpet, did carpentry work in the brutal sun when it's 115 out. Mm -hmm. Writing is far harder than any of that type of work I ever did when I was a teenager. Um, but I love it. I love information. And I'll tell you guys, I love researching because, you know, we live in a crazy world today where so many people are distracted with so many different things. We, you know, the term fake news and, you know, things are coming at them, you know, a mile a minute. So we don't know in sound bites what is true, you know, what, what's factual, what we can rely on, you know, right. so we don't even know oftentimes what reliable sources are. I love the challenge of digging deep into things and helping people, compacting things. That's why writing is one of my passions now is not just from the pulpit aspect, because I can I can reach far more people now than I was as a pastor of a church. And not only that, but you know, a book lives on forever. You know what I mean? In a mm -hmm. sense of it's people pass it on and it's and you put some information in there in a in a, in a way that you're you're leading them through a story. 
And so me, as I'm trying to help people stand strong in their faith, how do I lead them through that? Now, what I do, another reason I love the passion of writing is what I'm unique in is that I provide pastoral apologetics, but through parenting as well. So a lot of my friends are, are their apologetics is purely trying to convince the atheist that there is a God and right. you got the, the reliability of scripture or et cetera, et cetera. And, the, and, and I'm right there with them. I've taken all those classes and have, have written on those type of things. But like right now, I'm writing this book with focus on the family where I'm kind of like the worldview apologist guy with them on their staff, not just talking about parenting issues on exercising your authority or how you can help your kid who's so obsessed with you know, their screen and, and trying to put structure there, but also with worldview issues, challenging conversations when it, when it comes to your kid coming to you with same-sex attraction, or I don't believe there's a God, or I was raised a Christian and now I've deconverted because I've been enlightened by a YouTube sensationist. Yeah, I mean, all this kind of stuff, you know, you hear these things and parents are just bombarded by it. So I'm kind of, through Stand Strong Ministries, we mesh it. And so I love the opportunity and there's nothing better then when all of the effort, the countless hours, I mean, literally hundreds of hours with a massive amount of staff people, and you get that advanced copy and you open up that box and you pray over this book and say, God, I pray it reaches the right people at the right time. And that, and yeah, so we're now writing our eighth book and we're actually writing our ninth book, even after this gets turned in this month, that we're going to be turning in in the spring because that's an avenue that God has given us and blessed mm -hmm. us with to put this type of material videos curriculum as well, different avenues to reach more people. And you know what, Gen Z, the great thing, the great news about Gen Z and some of their parents is they actually are going back to books. They like mm -hmm. books. And so that was a motivating thing because even five years ago, I was going to say, eh, maybe a book every three, four years. But the, the market is, especially with COVID, obviously, people are reading much more than they've ever had before, you know, in the last 10 years. And so we knew as a ministry, we have to maintain those relationships and continue to figure out how to teach people who are biblically illiterate or, or, or want to sharpen their worldview. What can we provide them? And that's what we do. So Jason, uh, you've got a, you said eight books out, you're working on a ninth. What are the, which book are you most fond of? Which one are That's you? That's kind of like what, what it, to me, it's kind of like, you know, which you child know, you is favorite your favorite? Kid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it really is because, you know, you don't want to have redundancy in what you're writing. So right. you always, as you pray and you seek the Lord and you go through that time period. And again, just so the listeners know that 80 plus percent of what you research and even some degree, about 30 to 40% of what you write never actually gets published. Mm -hmm. So every phase that I go through in writing, some projects take up to two years to write. This book right now that we're writing has taken, uh, by the time it comes out, will be two years. So when you're going through these things emotionally, sometimes God speaks to you. Um, and then of course, the stories that come out, like, I, I mean, one that, that was very emotional for me recently was Challenging Conversations. Mm -hmm. uh, because we dealt with depression, mental illness, you know, gender issues. Uh, we talked about divorce and remarriage, races, I, all, the, all the, the hot topics, right? And we spent countless time talking to young people, talking to experts, talking to pastors, talking to parents, uh, looking within my own heart. Uh, we were attacked by Satan. Uh, we felt that he didn't want to get this book out with Summit. Uh, there was a lot of turmoil and we had to fight through that. 
And I'll never forget that. Um, so it's not always about the sales. Of course, I'm blessed that the, the Q&A book, I think that one was such a highlight because I one of my bucket list items was to write a book with Dr. Norman Geiser. Of course, mm. we didn't know that he was going to pass away when he did, right. but that was an honor. So I think I think in terms of like a badge of honor was co-authoring that Q&A book with Dr. Geiser. And then the Abandoned Faith book really was such a huge highlight because I spent my first 15 years of my ministry, now 25 years in full time, 15 years working with millennials and their parents. So when we first, you know, agreed to write this with Focus on the Family, that was a highlight because I've always wanted to work with Focus on the Family. And I wanted to convey um, the voice of parents who have been raising millennials, what they're going through, but to offer them hope and healing. And so, man, I have to tell you guys, now it's been out for over four years, the amount of conversations and emails and I mean, you name it, I've received because of that book has oftentimes made me cry, um, has given me new insight, but again, has reinforced to me that there are just recently a, a, a former missionary couple whose husband is now a pastor, their oldest daughter of five has rebelled having sex. There's no God. She picked up my book. She read it. Her husband never reads. And he always tinkers around, you know, with his computer stuff, gets the book. He's bawling his eyes out. She reads out and sends an email thanking us for abandoned faith and helping them try to engage uh, their millennial adult child. So it's hard to answer that question. Um, but I'm really into this one, this new one about parenting Gen Z. Um, so every one of them has a uniqueness to them. So do you have a specific book that you would recommend to people? For instance, as a pastor, oftentimes I want to give a book to someone who's struggling with their faith or not even quite there yet. What book would you recommend? The Q&A? Well, yeah. It, I mean, there's so many other ones that are friends of mine outside of it that would be excellent. And in many cases, probably even better than some of the stuff that I've published. But in regards to things that I've put out that we do with our ministry, I'd recommend two resources. There are people who are struggling to know, like they're skeptic, right? Or they, mm-hmm. they have their doubts and, and they want to know, well, okay, well, prove to me that as best we can, obviously, right? Because we can't be absolutely certain that God exists. But I want to know, what what would you say? What does Christian theists say? What kind of evidences would you give about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Or prove to me that he performed miracles. You weren't there. I wasn't there. Things like that. I'd recommend two resources. The first one is, yes, the Bible's answers to life's 100 biggest questions with Baker Books. So it covers 12 subjects, 100 questions. It's a great manual. And even though they're in some cases, some bite-sized kind of questions, uh, mainly used for Christians to sharpen their understanding, but not meant specifically just for an atheist, mm-hmm. but it's still a great resource for them. Plus we give additional resources at the end of every answer saying, Hey, check out this video, check out this extra book, check out these websites. So people can continue to dig. Cause that was always a follow-up question. An answer question. And then the next follow, you know, you answer the question, the follow-up question is, where can I get more information? Mm-hmm. So that's a great resource. And the other one is the book that Geisler, Dr. Geisler wrote with my buddy, Dr. Frank Turek, which is one still considered one like next to more than the carpenter that Josh McDowell put out years back is I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Mm-hmm. 
that one is just one of the most famous apologetic books still to date. And I was honored years ago to put out the official study guide for that because even myself included, when I was a young pastor in Tucson, Arizona, so many people would, like me, we were like, hey, can, is there any resources that we can flush out the book? Because all we have is just the book. And you remember YouTube and stuff wasn't big back then. So right. you, you didn't really get, and it was very expensive to put things in a box to package it with DVD. Kind of, I'm kind of dating myself a little bit. And so I remember even sending something to Crossway or to Frank or whatever. He didn't know me from Adam at the time. And they said, uh, no, we don't have anything. Well, years later, we came out with a study guide. And I'm telling you that that study guide sometimes sells over a thousand copies a month hmm. that people are using alongside the book. So that's a great resource for someone to use. Cool. Hmm. That's interesting because I've never, <clears throat> I mean, often we, we read books so often, but I've never heard anyone recommend use the study guide. I mean, it's, it's almost something that you buy along with a book and you're like, yeah, but that's, that's really neat. Um, Jason, how did you, um, how did you get all these experiences, you know, all these conversations? I, I know that you speak at a number of churches and I think one of my questions is, is, you know, do you speak at small churches, big churches? And how did you accumulate all these conversations that you have had to accumulate all the information you needed to, you know, to put your passion into millennials and how to, how to speak to them or bridge that gap? Yeah, I, I, the experiences in time, I mean, I think, again, you've, you have to know what your giftedness is and use that for the glory of God as God has enabled you. And so it was clear that, and, he, and by the way, I didn't mention this, growing up, I was a very shy kid and I, I'm dyslexic. And I talk about this to some degree in challenging conversations and I'm getting to the area about being persuasive and critical thinking and how to, to you know, win people over. Um, that is something I had, I've had to pray over, read a ton of books, be around people who challenged me, uh, people who've called me out, recognizing my shortcomings, flaws, or why do I stutter in these situations? Why do I shut down in these situations? Uh, even getting counseling through the years in some of these areas to sharpen my techniques. Uh, Dr. Geyser was instrumental. Uh, I, I'd hate to say it, you know, but I didn't know at the time, but a, another person who I was honored to be around at the time, knowing, thinking, of course, what we all thought back then. But even Ravi Zacharias was a guy who inspired me and was one of, and was the first person who endorsed my ministry when I when I left a big mega church to start this ministry. Of course, we now have found out, unfortunately, that he was living a double life. But mm -hmm. I had those type of influences. Josh McDowell was another one. Mm -hmm. um, Doctor Geyser took me on the road. And I started to do conferences and seminars with him. I started a apologetic conference for my juniors and seniors, their parents, before they were going off to college. So I started to understand how not just camps and retreats and that kind of thing. I mean, I'm, I'm talking hundreds of kids. And if you put their parents in there, I was leading 1,500 people. And it's like, how do you train 1,500 people with a biblical worldview? Uh, we started to offer Q&A nights. So by the time I, and there's so many other things I can bore you with, but by the time I moved on, I was already developing a new book and pursuing this type of thing on a national level. Because what I was finding is people are biblically illiterate. And if mm -hmm. parents don't know what they believe and why they believe it, I mean, nine times out of 10, the kids are going to be biblically illiterate. So now when you go from millennials to Gen yeah. Z, 
And then it's the it's a drastic decline from 12% to 4%. So all that to say is my primary outreach to reach parents is the church. Now I have a limited schedule like we all do. And so I primarily speak at, at bigger churches so that you can cover more ground. But at the same time, we always pray, like when you guys, when we get requests, we always pray and say, Lord, is this where you want us to go? We've always been that, been that way. And I'll tell you one, because of the way I grew up, we grew up not having much, but you know, your word is your bond and you treat everybody with respect and dignity. So we don't look at small churches less than big churches because in our world today, you know, with the Willow Creeks and the Saddlebacks, no offense to those people, but they package thing and they send them out to everybody else saying, this is the way to do church. And we tend to think, oh, okay, well, that's the way to do church. And we neglect the small people. Well, guess what? I mean, when you look at the statistics and I know things have changed since COVID, so this is actually pre-COVID. Well, almost 80% of the churches in America are less than 400. So there's a, there's a great need that we need to have to be able to tap into churches of all sizes uh, around the country. And that's what we've done. So, you know, we have a limited uh, um, speaking that I, I'm willing to do in my calendar. And then we pray about it. And then we do it. We, we, we are led by the spirit to go where, where God has called us to go. Hmm. And I will tell you, and this is what Dr. Geyser taught me. I remember we're on a plane coming back from Brazil. He said, Jason, he says, don't ever uh, be a person who thinks that you are doing more for God than what God is doing through you. So don't limit God. And he was that way. I saw him literally being handed thousands of dollars, him refusing it and giving it back as a donation to the ministry because he just says, I just want to be here to be a blessing because God told me to be here as a blessing. I mean, this is the world-renowned apologist professor who started multiple universities and trained up people, you know, like Dr. William Lane Craig. And yet he's like, no, I don't need any money. And you got other people who it's all about the money. So we we make sure that we are serving people rather than being served. Got it. Um, I think Jeremy had a question. Yeah. So Jason, as um, a youth and family minister within our church, and as a father to three young children, all under five, um, my heart personally is huge for young people being grounded in Christ and belonging to Christ and not turning away from that path. And I'm just wondering, you know, there's there's such a sense right now in our nation of increasing hostility toward Christianity, a greater separation perhaps of light and darkness, and these uh, cultural aspects that you're speaking on and equipped to speak on that are, that are so relevant. And I'm wondering, um, from the time maybe when you started out in ministry, maybe during your junior high years, where you ministered to junior high, to now, what have you seen in our culture as far as opposition to Christianity? Are we facing different challenges, greater challenges? Is there perhaps a greater urgency in this moment than you've seen in the past? That's a great question, uh, Jeremy, and I appreciate the work you're doing. We, we, I would say, before I answer the question, I just was in meetings with several young pastors. We are in need of raising up a generation who are called into ministry full-time. And so when we have younger uh, people who are doing that, uh, we need to support that because, you know, in time, you know, as, as I, I started in 97, right. And now you look, you know, 
uh, helping younger people, it, it, there, it, the decline is, is, is big. To, I mean, it's huge. Uh, and of course, we know that the, the uh, maintaining those people, the sustainability is not there either. The turnover is ridiculous. So I commend you keep fighting the good fight of faith. Now, in regards to what I've actually seen, again, I'm not a pessimist. I'm not a, you know, the cup is half full kind of thing. And, and, and I just, I just rattle off Barna stats and, you know, Gen Z 4%, you know, you know, and, and the, it's like the protests out there, look at all the violence and, you know, totalitarianism and we have no more freedoms. And before you know it, they're going to be taking our guns. Like people panic and freak out as a leader. My job is yes, to speak the truth and to speak it in love, Ephesians 4.15. What I've seen is a progression, of course, of secularism. People should not be surprised. And I remind people, I get emails from people saying, oh my goodness, I sent my kid off to Clemson and they're taking a religious class and the person's telling them that the Bible is just folklore. Uh, you know, this is unbelievable. I'm like, it's a secular university. Okay, you do your research next time. You know, I mean, you should not be surprised or shocked by some of this kind of stuff. So having said that, what I will say within the church Yes, one of the biggest things that we continue to see is divorce, broken families, predominantly among minority families like mine in the Hispanic community, along with the black community. You, you see a drop from an older Gen X born in the 60s to Gen Z born in 2000, born in 2000, 2015. It went from 40% biblical worldview, you guys, to four, 40% to four, mm. okay? So in 60 years with all of these churches and the internet coming out and all these books that we talked about, guess what? Christianity in America, I'm not talking about the gospel because listen, you cannot, Philippians 1, Paul said, the gospel's not chained. I'm not sitting here like all freaking out worried. But when you see a biblical worldview drop, the more biblical illiteracy, and then what do you even define Christianity? What I would say, Jeremy, is this is the sad reality. I'm talking about this about this in my new book under the chapter called Depleted Faith. Gen Z is actually deconverting from a false Christianity. They're actually walking away from a watered down version of Christianity. That to me is probably one of the biggest problems. Mm. You want to throw in apathy and ignorance? You know, I talk about that in Stand Strong America. Absolutely, those, those are big problems. A lot of Christians today, it's not a matter that they're too scared to share their faith, and yet, yet still, that's one of the big reasons why people don't evangelize, which again, if you don't evangelize, you don't make disciples. But one of the other re big reasons we find is, is that they don't care, plain and simple. They mm -hmm. just don't care to share about their faith because they have been convinced in our culture today that it's a private faith, right? Mm. So when you mesh all these things together and you look at Colossians 2 verse 8, you know, we are not to be swayed by the empty philosophy of our day. And that's what's happening. And so what I'm seeing now is as a result of a lot of what we've talked about, we are in the mess that we're in today. Mm -hmm. And of course, sin does not go unnoticed. God will judge sin. And unfortunately for us, remember judgments, you know, it starts in the household of God, Peter said. And I see that's what we're seeing. So God says, if you care more about yourself and, and, you know, and wealth and these celebrity people and podcast Christianity kind of stuff that's formatted and nice looking with nice sneakers and, and tight jeans, then I'm going to take these people away from you. 
And I'm going to start exposing the Jerry Falwells and the Ravi Zacharias's. And so the young people are looking around thinking, who can we trust? Who is modeling authentic faith Mm -hmm. that's boldly proclaiming it without apology and not going woke just to try to accommodate Christianity in the mix and compromising? That to me is becoming now the big shift. So it's not necessarily the young people. It's people like us on this podcast, people who are leading the churches who are compromising. Mm -hmm. And so I'm telling you, we have to be bold, as the Bible says, in our faith. And we're not seeing that as much anymore. And I think COVID has revealed that, Jeremy. COVID has revealed how shallow a lot of Christians who are leading churches are today. And we should be ashamed of ourselves. We should repent, I should say, and get right with God. And through that process, maybe God says, you're done. You need to remove yourself and I'm going to bring a real shepherd in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the idea of a private faith or faith is private. I remember having a conversation with an older lady years and years and years ago before even coming into the pastorate. And that was one of the things that they said. Uh, I grew up knowing that faith was really a private matter. And her parents modeled that for her. And so that's, again, one of, we talked heritage early on, right? You can't get away from it. And some of those types of understanding about faith cascades from generation to generation to generation. And we have to be able to speak into those places and say, is it supposed to be private? Is that what the Bible says? You know, as I remember, Jesus' last few words were something about go into all the world and proclaim the good news. And so we end up taking on what is passed down to us instead of what biblically is given to us as our mandates. So it's a challenge. It's a challenge, and we need voices like yours to challenge the um, status quo, to challenge churches to get off their uh, get out of their rocking chairs, so to speak, uh, to be more active, to do more things. The other thing you said, uh, the younger people, they want to be involved in something that is doing something good. So that says to me that there's a, an opportunity for ministry in missions, um, getting together with people and say, hey, let's go help the you know, needy, uh, whatever that might look like in your community and to find ways to give them an opportunity to serve, to do something bigger than themselves. That's always been, to me, uh, a pathway, so to speak, uh, to understanding what it means to serve others, and then somehow connecting that to that's what God wants us to do. Oh, I'm doing something God wants me to do? Who's God? (laughs) Right. Um. Jason, you've talked, I mean, you talked a lot about the biblically illiterate and how that percentage has decreased over the years or actually increased as double uh, (laughs) (laughs) negative. But how do you get those people into the church? I know you said your passion is to um, help teach those leading churches and equip them to share the, the good news and the truth. But how do you get those people not in the church? They don't care about going to church. Um, and they're illiterate about it. How do you get those folks into the church, or how do you help equip us? How do you teach, you know, your fellow uh, listeners? 
Yeah, that's a good question. There's so many different ways. I mean, we could devote an entire series, obviously, mm-hmm. on this one thing. But let me give you guys a couple things. And again, a lot of things I'll share with you right now were not original to me. Mm-hmm. They were taught me uh, through different church consultants, you know, different pastors that were doing different things. I'd walk in, you know, be a part of a conference. Like one recently uh, I was at, um, they were doing a big family outreach and they were right across the street from a high school. So it wasn't just a church-wide family, um, you know, uh, circus, you know, circus relay type stuff with games and jumping castles and hot dogs and that kind of thing. They had all kinds of games everywhere. It was an outreach to the parents of uh, of the people, uh, you know, the parents of the school, the high school across the street. And it was an annual thing they did. And it was kind of like a, a, a fall harvest type thing. Uh, and you hear of people who are doing that, but that wasn't the only thing they did. You know, it was a matter of then taking these couples who sign up for different things and you bring them a bill. Uh, what are some things that you're struggling with in your community or with your child? This church was offering free counseling. So if parents came to this fall festival and through that, they were contacted afterwards. And, and then one of the staffers finds out like, well, my son's doing drugs, you know, and of course he didn't come to the fall festival. We did. We just really appreciate what you guys are doing or we don't have a church. So that's one avenue. Mm-hmm. But I would say this for the, for the Christian you know, we are called, again, as I just did the other day, my neighbor was having issues and I happened to be outside for a split second, didn't have much time. And I'm going to help him do something in his yard. Uh, I don't know if James knows Christ because I never see the guy. Uh, he knows I am. I've shared Christ, but I've never heard, heard him given a, a profession of faith. But you got to be willing to go talk to that individual. A lot of times when you throw out there and say, okay, we need people to do Bible studies to unsafe people at your house. (laughs) You may get a few people who are like, well, I love doing that. I'll do that. And you're like, well, you're the same person. We need more people. Like we need more people who are willing to do that. You can't just tell them, you know, throw it out there without any training or or guiding them through anything. Uh, It starts with that individual, that neighbor, or you get them trained. You figure out if that's some of their gifts because a lot of Christians feel intimidated. And then again, there are ways for churches to say, guys, Easter, Christmas, typical holidays, right? I mean, the, that's when we do, you know, the, 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 the attendance rises typically, right? And I think I, I honestly, and again, cause I've been in these churches and I preached, you know, about the resurrection on Easter Sunday at churches. Honestly, if I were to grade what I've seen in different denominations, you guys are United Methodists, I've been at Presbyterians, Southern Baptist, you name it, non-denominational, whatever. I think we do a poor job. I think what's happened now, it's just this big performance thing of getting the right song. And you see a lot of those, those floppers on YouTube that I sit there and laugh. I'm thinking that is the foolishness of people in church today and they should be ashamed of themselves. So I think that if we really strategically fast and pray about how do we reach the lost. Remember, you, the church's primary job is not to reach the lost. That was Jesus's job. Jesus is the savior. He reaches the lost. The primary responsibility of the church is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So it's the people that come to get fed the word of God by pastors like you guys, ministers of the gospel, is to go out where God has called them in their sphere of influence and, and share the gospel. So that's it. When, when I can go to my workplace, maybe it's through a Bible study, maybe it's an open door where uh, I provide an opportunity where they meet me and say, you know, Christians are not so half bad. You guys may be a little bigoted in some of your areas. I may not agree entirely, 
But this is an open door to now I'm willing to go to your church. Last thing I would say, guess what? You know, the vast majority of your non-believing friends actually want you to talk about your faith, even in cancel culture today. Mm-hmm. And they would like to be invited to your church because if it's important to you and you say they're important to you. So I, I say, I love Jesus, right? Because he first loved me. And then I say to my coworker, who's not a Christian, that I care for this person, but I say zero about my faith. Mm-hmm. What is that communicating to that person? You're communicating that you're confused. There's an issue there. And do, you, do I really matter? Because if there is life after death, then don't you care about my soul? Again, I may, I may find an excuse not to go to church, but I'm telling you, Dana, we have to, when I say equip, I'm saying you can't just, here's a book and then automatically your church is gonna start doing this. But through the power and conviction of the Holy Spirit, with the help of shepherds equipping, teaching the basic fundamentals to Christians about how to go about sharing their faith and through that inviting. The other thing we have to do, last thing and I'll, and I'll be quiet, there is this misconception in the church. Bring your unsaved person and the pastor will save them. <laughs> That's not the job of the pastor. I'm not saying you, a pastor can't lead people to Christ, but when you look at scripture, the role of a pastor and elder is to rebuke, to defend the faith, to equip the saints, you know what I'm saying? To emulate their faith among the flock, to discipline if necessary. That's the role, not like lead the lost to Christ. It doesn't say that. So and in, in, in 1 Peter 5, we have the role verses 1 through 4 about how a leader in the church ought to live. There's negative and there's positive. So we, we, we can't just let the church use that as a cop-out. And so if you feel like your church, you know, tends to think, well, Easter, I'll bring my unsafe friend. Uh, then correct that. And the other thing is, I do think churches do a poor job. They don't really give not only training, but they don't provide videos, uh, curriculum, flyers, anything that can be tangible use to hand to someone to invite them to church. So I think if we collectively do a lot of these things more uh, and with the help of the Holy Spirit, I think that we would see a lot more people be coming to church and then through that, they can hear the gospel. Great. Well, I think with that, we're going to start to wrap it up. Um, Jason is going to be in Gaylord, Michigan at the First United Methodist Church um, the weekend of October 9th, Saturday. Um, He's going to speak at 6.30 p.m., how to have challenging conversations to a cancel culture, and he's spoken a lot about that. And then on Sunday, he's going to um, speak with us at both services, 9 a.m. service and the 1045 Contemporary Service, How Mature Is Your Faith? And he's going to uh, uh, read or preach to us from James 1, 1 through 27. And then that evening at 6 p.m., he's going to speak with us on abandoned faith and how to bridge the gap with this generation. And that's a lot of what you've talked about, the millennials and the Gen Z. So... Anybody else have another any other questions before we wrap it up? Well, Jason, we really appreciate it. We're so excited to have you to our uh, community. And um, yeah, thank you again. We're at the First United Methodist Church. We're located at 215 South Center Street, Gaylord, Michigan. Uh, just spoke about the services, the 9 a.m. 
uh, traditional and the 1045 AM contemporary. You can contact us at 989-732-5380 or via our website and all the information about Jason and all his things he's going to speak about uh, will be out there for us to review. And so, I, I think yeah. and it's important to understand that not only is he speaking, but there will always be an opportunity for questions and answers afterward. Yes. Yeah. Bring your questions. If they can come, absolutely. I love engaging. Great, great point. Uh, bring your questions. We love to try to do our best to answer them. Okay. That sounds great. So thank you everybody for joining and listening. And we can't wait to see you, Jason, in person. Thank you guys. Okay. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Lord bless you guys. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Jason. Bye.